Greetings, everyone. This is Eric Stewart from the Fishing Fanatics podcast, and today I'm joined with Wyatt, Wyatt Wimberly, who is the talk show host, professional angler, and host of Wyatt on the Water. So, how you doing, Wyatt? Doing good, man. Doing good. Glad to be here. Good to have you here. Since we first met at uh, ICAST down there, talking about different stuff we both had going on, and I'm excited to jump into this podcast. And let's start from the beginning, from when you first got into okay. fishing, and tell our listeners a little bit about how you kind of got first started in the fishing. Yeah, absolutely. So when so I grew up on Lake Sam Rayburn, uh, you know, huge fishing destination. My dad was a big hunter and and fisherman and all his buddies was. So I grew up bass fishing, things like that. And uh for some reason I was just really intrigued by it. I it, it kind of came easy to me as far as talking about it and understanding it. So when I was teeing, um I actually went to Bass Pro Shops and interviewed Rick Plug. Uh, I had like an old iPhone 3 or something, and like I threw it up on YouTube, and it, and it really got out there. And then a couple of different people that done shows with Bassmaster and things like that reached out and like, hey, you know, come do videos for us. So I did that, and then at 15, I started my show, which is Wide on the Water. Um, and I was starting to get into tournament fishing at the time. My dad's buddy... Uh, wanted me to start fishing some high school tournaments with him so we did that he was our boat captain then when i turned 18 i got into fishing uh on the pro side of pro-ams and just uh just running with it as far as i could take it so what came first was it tournament fishing or was it actually like being a talk show host about fishing it was actually the the social media and the interviews came first uh you know i'd, I'd fished uh, and always wanted to fish competitively growing up um we had a bass tracker when I was growing up, but we actually sold that right. <laughs> That's the kind of weird. We sold that right before I wanted to get into tournament fishing. So it was like, oh man. So then we got a, we bought another uh, bass boat. Um, and that's when I really just kind of went with it. Now I started out, you know, I grew up around a lot of influential people in the fishing industry, uh, Albert Collins, Tommy Martin. So, I had some really good guidance growing up, my dad, his buddy. Um, so starting out, I didn't just automatically fish on the boater side. I actually fished co-angler for a couple of years to get my feet under me. Mm -hmm. um, so I fished Toyota Series as a co-angler, Bassmaster Opens. So I've done that for two years, um, 17, well, I was 17 and 18, and then uh, 19 is when I said, okay, it's time to go to the boater side. So the tournament side, we'll, we'll hit on the tournament side a little bit later. Let's let's talk about your talk show. I mean, at 10 years old, how does this like kind of come about? Does someone just kind of reach out to you or do you reach out to them? So so there was actually, so after I'd done the interview with, with Tommy, I mean, uh, Rick, sorry. And you can actually find it today. If you like look up like uh, Wyatt Wembley Fishing, you can find the old video. Um, my voice sounds all squeaky and all kinds of stuff, but. After I put that out there, Facebook fishing groups were really getting started at that time. And the whole concept of a talk show was getting started at that time, too. So a couple of the guys, there was one called Bass Fishing Network, I think it was. And, and I've done some posting for their deal. And then I actually done a, a few things uh, with guys that done Bassmaster Live. So that was huge. Um, and then after that, I really had this concept of, okay... You know, 
there's a lot of pros around my area. Not a whole lot of people's really getting in depth to what they're doing. So I just started reaching out to them, dude. I would literally eat them. I would stay up like 15, 16 years old. I would stay up like one, two, three o'clock in the morning, just emailing, like Google searching how to contact so-and-so, contact information for so-and-so. And I would put in phone calls and the response was great. Like most of everybody was like, yeah, man, here's my phone number, my social media manager, let's set up a date. So, you know, 15, 16 years old, I was interviewing guys like uh, Todd Castledine, um, Tommy Martin, Albert Collins, uh, Jamie Hartman, uh, John Cruz. Uh, and the, the response from most of the guys were shocking to me for the level of respect that they gave me from a young guy, not taking it as somebody at that age where they could have just been like, okay, you know, this kid's not serious. They actually appreciated it and gave me that time of respect. So that's something that I've always kind of carried on. Yeah, I think that's the one thing about the fishing industry that's super interesting because how you started up your show is kind of similar to what I'm trying to do here is just reaching out to people on Facebook, giving calls, and just kind of scheduling guests on this podcast. Yeah. And it's interesting because I can't think of any other sport, whether it be baseball, football, or anything like that, where you can actually like reach out to these people and have them come on your podcast. Um, like these big things exactly. in the fishing industry. So it's real cool. Yeah. And that, and that's something that I think is, and I think that's changing just a little bit. Like, like I'm starting to see that change in the fishing industry where it's like, okay, it's starting to get a little bit tougher to talk to some of these guys, but it's still there. Like that's something that's totally different. And, and Mark Zona talks about this a lot. You know, he talks about it as, this is the only sport to where the fans can have a personal connection with the superstars. You know, we're the only sport that's like that right now. And I hope that never changes. Now this, the sport is growing substantially to where I hope that doesn't change. Um, but for right now, you know, it's still like if you're a eight year old kid and you're a fan of Kevin Van Dam, you go to the classic or you go to, you know, uh, the expo, you could see him walk up to him, talk to him. You go to the NBA and you see Stephen Curry or Damian Lillard. You're not you're not walking up to those guys, you know. Yeah, no way. That is um the really cool thing. Even like being down at ICAST where we first originally met, it was um it was cool walking in there. I saw a couple of people that I had on the podcast just saying hi to them. But then other big names like Mike Iconelli, Kevin Van Dam, all those yeah. guys are just walking around. They're readily available. You just go up and say hi to them. It's cool to have yeah. conversations like that. Absolutely. And and the cool thing about it is they're not, they're not like, oh, who is this? You know, they actually want to, because the fishing industry is all about making connections. It's who you know, how you know them. And everybody, no matter what level they're on, they're always looking at, okay, let me make a connection with this person. Let me make a connection with this person. It's definitely a uh, humbling sport too, to say the least, because sure. one day you could be on top of the world and the next day you can get skunked and then fall down to the bottom of the barrel so it's it keep, i feel like it keeps these people like grounded too and then even like fishing for fun absolutely yeah and i think I don't, I don't remember who said it but somebody said that uh bass fishing is the most losingest sport in the world it's true because you lose way more than you win that is the truth and even like being in top 20 is like a huge feat um for a lot of these tournaments oh yeah and just getting to that final that final cut, um, for sure, is like huge for a lot of these guys. Absolutely. But um, cool. So let's yeah, let's talk about. So you mentioned that you fished in high school. Yep. 
that's originally when you got like caught into like the tournament scene. You kind of fell in love with it. Yeah, I, I had always, you know, I grew up watching Bassmasters, you know, and they always came here because we live, I live between Rayburn and Toledo. So Rayburn's five minutes from my house, Toledo's 30 minutes. So I grew up between them and, you know, so Bassmaster was always coming here to Toledo. So I fished uh, one season of high school fishing, actually. I only did one season. Uh, we had eight tournaments. Um, we fished it out of my dad's uh buddy's boat and uh, i felt bad for him because you know he just had to sit back there and he couldn't do anything and you know he's never really done anything like that before so but he actually you know he's always said it's helped him learn his electronics better because he could sit back there and watch what we were doing but the format i loved it um i loved the competition of it um it was fun and i feel like back then i fished more freely than i do now like there was no, there was no pressure. There was no expectation. Like my mind was just, I, I didn't have to worry about too much, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but high school fishing was, was big then too. Like we would have anywhere from 90 to a hundred, 120 boat fields, which looking at it now is not too much because now we have five, 600 boat high school tournaments they do here. So it's grown so much. And, I feel like if you're a younger guy or or fisherman that wants to get into it and you have a local high school team, that's the most cost-effective way to get into it because if you don't have a boat, you know, they're going to hook you up with somebody that does. Um, and usually those guys, you'll learn a lot from them because they're, they grew up on the lake that you're on. Yeah, I was always super interested in it because I'm from Philadelphia and we don't really have that, like, access to high school fisheries right. up here. But, um... So when you first got started in high school fishing, or did you, were you homeschooled or were you, uh, did you actually like yeah. go to high school? Yep. Okay. So you were homeschooled. No, I was homeschooled. Okay, cool. Yep. So you didn't have to like cut out of class earlier or do anything like that. It was no. okay. Get all your nope. work done. No, we got, we got to practice. We got to practice quite a bit. Um, my partner, my team partner now, now she went to, uh, she went to the high school here. And, and what's funny is, is I actually, when I first started, I didn't want a partner. I wanted to fish by myself. And then the rules were like, hey, you got to have a partner. So I was like, okay. And and so they teamed me up with my team partner. And we uh, we went out practicing the first day. And uh, I think she caught like a five. And she was like, oh, my God, I love I love fishing like this, you know, using the electronics. Yeah. So first tournament, dude, we, we did great. Like I had, I think we got like 14th out of like 80 boats. And we actually could have won that tournament. The, this fish haunts me to this day. I hooked a big fish at the, like the last hour and I'm reeling it in and like, it's cold, it's October. And like, I'm, I'm getting into the boat and my team partner's got the net and I'm like, okay, it's a big one. It's a big one. And as soon as I pull up on it, my line snaps. Dude, I remember to this day, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I had that fish back. Cause we could have won the first high school tournament I ever fished. Like I, I wanted that. So yeah, that fish haunts me to this day. But those were those were some fun tournaments. Like I remember a lot of them. I remember just the the fun and, and fishing freely and stuff like that. But also the competitiveness. Like I would. That's what really fired my competitive spirit for the sport. Absolutely. You know, it's funny you hit on that. Like that one fish that you let get away. Because I've talked to other like professional anglers about it, and it's like, man, if I could just have that one fish back and. 
they, they, oh, my entire life would change. Like, it's kind of crazy how, like, you kind of think about that. And I'm only fun fishing personally, but, like, seeing it from that aspect of it where it's like, wow, this fish could actually be a huge check for me. It's, it's completely. Yeah. And, and see, my deal was is before I got into tournament fishing, I had a, a really good social media following. Mm-hmm. So there was always this kind of like static around that I was more of just a social media guy. Mm-hmm. And because I hadn't made any, you know, footprint in the tournament world locally yet. And once you get around somewhere like Rayburn, there's a a certain, how do I put it? There's a certain like uh, stigma around Rayburn to where local guys they're always like okay who's who's winning this or who's winning this like all they focus on is just local fishing and so if you don't do good then you know you kind of get this oh well he's just a social media guy or he's this so that was my first chance to really put a put a footprint in tournament fishing and i really wish i could have that fish back like that I think I think back at that. I'm like, man, I wish I could have had that fish back. Do you feel like that aspect of it, where other people are kind of looking at you and just be like, oh, why he's like the social media guy? Do you feel like that really pushed you to fish these different tournaments, like the MLF and the Bassmaster and all those different ones? Or it did. It, what really? I had a two part deal though. Like I grew up, like when I was growing up, Kevin Van Dam was the guy. He he was the goat. I think he's the goat. Personal opinion. Um, I actually, I met Kevin when I was 11 years old. He came down here to do a meet and greet for the big bass splash. And I remember this to this day. This is what really set him over the top for me. I was 11 years old, dude. The line was out of the parking lot. And if you've ever been to Humphrey family pavilion, you know how huge the parking lot is just to see this one guy that's really good at catching bass. The line was out the parking lot and I get up there to get my you know kvd 1.5 sign and it's like you know late in the evening and he's been there since like lunch and they were like hey you know we're thinking of go ahead and stopping you know it's getting late and he's like i'm not leaving here until every person that's in this line gets to meet me and i'm like okay that's the standard i want to follow like that's so watching kevin and seeing how he approached the game and like just the passion he had for everything and also that fuel of like, okay, I made my imprint in social media. I still got a lot of work I can do there, but I want to pick up this other part that I'm lacking in. Both of those things fired me watching him and then also saying, hey, you know, there's another part to this game that I haven't touched yet that I need to really, and I still do. I still need to make a lot of improvements on the tournament side. Um, I've done decent in tournaments. I haven't done well um as i want to be yet so we still got some work to do there for sure what's kind of like the plan on that side in the future for you um i think next year we're gonna i was gonna do it this year i had a talk with jenko my title sponsor i was thinking about fishing all the opens this year um but i decided to still stay local um we did fish some mlf stuff uh out of state um toyota series things like that but I think next year I'm going to go fish all the opens. Um, I've really thought about it. I've got to cut down on some shows if we do that, but that it's it's not going to hurt it too bad. We already filmed 28 shows. We still got to film a lot this year, but uh, 
I think that's going to be the plan next year. How much of the new open format, like how much did that kind of sway your decision this year? Uh, talking about having to fish all nine. Yeah, that was that was a that was a kind of a heartbreaker to me when I found that out. I was like, "Hey, God!" I was like, because I really like I was set to fish my division. Like, if I fish my division, how it was the old old school way. I was like, I was fired up for that. Like I had financially, I was good for it. Everything travel, I was good for it. And then when they made that and I knew it was coming, like I talked to some, you know, guys that already fished it. That was buddies of mine. And I knew it was coming and I was just like, dead government. So it changes the game, dude. It changes financially. It changes everything because now you've got to travel. You know, you've really got to travel. Yeah, it's. I've heard from you know a couple of different perspectives on the point, and I think it's really tough for like the working man who's you know got a full yeah. job or like what you're doing with all your different shows. It's tough to make that commitment. Yeah, I mean, fishing has totally changed to where, you know, the '70s and '80s, and I know a lot of guys might be on here be like, "Oh, you weren't old enough to be back then," but you know, I've talked to guys that were back then, and I've studied it, but. I feel like it was a little bit easier back then, you know, knowing how those guys approached it, it was, gave more opportunity to up and covers like now the fishing industry from the tournament side, if you're not fishing grassroots like BFLs or Toyota series, you're trying to fish MPFL or you're trying to fish the opens, you really can't have a job. You got to be all in because you're going to be on the road for months at a time. You've got practice, you've got travel expenses. You know, you're in what fifteen grand? I think is the total entry fee of mail, something like that. You're in that right off the bat for the opens. Um, so you don't have a whole lot of spare time. So you really, uh, Matt Heron told me something. He said this dream can turn into a nightmare really, really quick. He said so. When you get ready to bite that bullet, you better be make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row before you punch your shot because he said it, it can get ugly in a hurry if you don't have it lined up. Absolutely. I remember talking to um, Gussie on our podcast and he was like, you know, I have conversations with guys that are literally like, if I don't clear check next tournament, I'm done. Like, this is it. Yep. So it is the, the harsh truth and reality of the sport. It's it's tough. It's tough to make it, especially yeah. with a huge commitment. Absolutely. And that's something I feel like that I'm glad I took the social media like, I'm really thankful I actually did my career the way I did looking back at it is I lined up myself for the way the industry was changing. Like, when I first started, the industry was more focused on tournament fishermen, you know, who wins the most tournaments, who's getting the most publicity out of it, because back then, social media was just getting started. So if you were a top, you know, top 10 angler on FLW back then or Bassmaster, the tournament organizations gave you the publicity you needed for tournament, for sponsors, right? That That's how you were going to make the big sponsor checks was through Bassmaster highlights or top tens, you know. Now, we don't need that to make money from sponsors as, as anglers. All we need is you got to have a really good social media profile because you post a video using a product that gets 100,000 views, companies are more likely to pay you for that in this day and time so i'm actually kind of lucky because i didn't plan it like that you know i wasn't 
15 years old saying, oh my God, 10 years from now. No, I wasn't, I wasn't that smart. I was just fell in love with how social media was. I'm like, dang, this actually lined up perfectly because my social media is laid out to get the companies I work with more promotion. So they're going to invest more in me because they believe in me from the way I built it up. Business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area, Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing. With tailored digital marketing services, from social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit badrhinoinc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to. Absolutely. It, it's an interesting game of like social media. That was actually the next question I have here is like the changes of the fishing industry. Because you'll see it like all the time now. You'll see like the top guys in bass fishing. They have a YouTube channel as well. And they're either vlogging or they're leaving tips and tricks or they're working with these different products and doing promotions and different stuff like that. And it's it adds a whole nother layer of just like, hey, where before it was, hey, you're just a tournament fisherman and you got to make, you know, the top 10 for us to get our name out there and get you on camera to, hey, sponsor me and I'll do this amount of videos for you and I'll promote your product to this whole other different avenue. Yep. Exactly. And I and I think it really rocked the tournament world when it first happened. Like a lot of these guys are like, oh, Lord, I need to go build my social media. Like, and so, like, you take, like, uh, take Jason Christie or Scott Martin, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Jason Christie was a huge, you know, guy could catch fish in a toilet bowl, you know, just a, but he adapted the way he approached the game. He built his social media up. And then you take a guy like Scott Martin, Scott was kind of ahead of the game. Scott was like building that YouTube before it became, okay, you got to have a YouTuber. You got to have a big platform on social media. He was already building that, you know, Scott. I've met Scott. I've done a couple videos with Scott's buddies. Uh, uh, I've hung out with them when they came down here at Rayburn. And if the guy travels with camera guys, like he's on it from his experience of doing TV. Like, I mean, he just, the way he approached it from the FLW tour videos, the Bassmaster to, you know, Scott Martin challenge. Like he was ahead of his time and building that social media platform and, you know, you look at these guys that do it well and do both. Those guys are not only set financially, but also just their success is just, you know, out there. Yeah, just skyrocketing. It's it's funny because like the like what have we? As I kind of mentioned, I work for a digital marketing agency, and you can kind of see the changes when you're working with different clients. And I know you do some stuff on social media and like video, short form video, long form video on YouTube's becoming like a big thing nowadays. And even when you look back to like the old videos of like Bill Dance and like what he's doing, yeah. what he's got going on, it's like, dude, this guy was way before his time. Like he was doing this stuff oh, yeah. way before anyone else was even like thinking about it. Yeah. Especially the bloopers, like yeah. those blooper videos, like, like, and I feel like if those, those guys like that, that done TV and done things like that, they adapted better than somebody that didn't. Like they, they, you put a camera in front of them and they're just, you know, it, it's nothing to them. They, they act themselves, but the guys that wasn't used to that, that just would go out there and catch fish. I feel like they had, uh, they had to adapt a little bit because I mean, you take, 
you take somebody like a 16, 17 year old kid that's got, well, take some of the Guggen squad guys, for example, you know, when they first started, 16, 17 year old kids walking around the classic and walking around ICAST with cameras. These guys are looking at them like, what are the, you know, what are y'all doing? You know, we catch, we're on the elite series and, you know, they may be getting more sponsors than them. And I think that's why some of these guys were like, okay, we need to get in this game too. You know, we need to build up, we need to get this thing rolling with our stuff. And I think that's where you've seen the rise of social media of pro anglers really start was when the YouTubers came in, mm-hmm. you know, because the YouTubers weren't tournament fishermen. They were just content creators that liked the outdoors. And then you got tournament fishermen. They're like, hey, man, these guys are coming in here and turning up the game. We got to get in on this. And I feel like that's when everybody really was like, okay, social media, post videos, let's teach people how to fish. And that's also helped the industry too, because you think about it, we're giving information out there for people to learn how to fish that wasn't available before, right? You know, it wasn't available. Like I, I had a cousin of mine um, who passed away recently and, you know, he would always tell stories about having to go to Shreveport in the seventies or eighties to watch Bill dance and Roland Martin give seminars at, you know, arenas and, Nowadays, all you got to do is just, you know, hey, how do I fish a swim jig by Kevin Van Dam? Yep. He's you know, and right all in. that information. Yeah, all that information's at our fingertips. It is it is truly amazing. And, you know, like just looking at like fishing as a whole, right? And you kind of hit it on the when it's like, you know, when you're first starting out, you just want to fish kind of alone. You didn't want a partner. It's As fishermen, we're kind of all introverts, even if we're like the most outgoing person in the world. It's kind of a nice and peace and quiet of being out on the boat by yourself. And I think yep. a lot of the tournament guys, like when they're like, literally, hey, I'm just going to focus on tournament fishing because that's what I'm really good at. I don't really care about this whole YouTube or social media or whatever content creation, other stuff's going on. And it's interesting to see that kind of flip, man. Complete 180. It's like, okay, now we have to do that. So I guess I kind of got to yeah. get a camera in my boat. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, it's just, it makes sense for companies to be like, you know, if you do really well in a tournament, amazing. It's hard to do that. I wish I I wish I could be like some of these guys and just get a top 10 and top 20 every time they turn around, you know. But the companies are like, okay, that's going to give us, you know, what, two, three, four weeks of promotion. Then you got a guy that does that and has social media. Dude, he's going to ride that way for weeks and weeks. And companies are going to be like, okay, that's the guy we want to give money to because... He's going to give us way more views on both platforms. And I feel like everybody's doing it now. Everybody's on that same level. And that's what's cool and fun about it is in our industry, we can all adapt. We can all adapt to what's new and what needs to be done. And nobody, nobody is, is there's no drama over it. You know, there's no, hey, this guy stole this idea. This, everybody is sharing ideas and helping each other out and, that's what I love about the industry is it's adaptable. We can all, you know, excel our game in every aspect. And that's what that's what's so fun and interesting about it. It is cool, man. And because it, it's funny because, like, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about my own podcast, right? The Fishing Fanatics podcast and started up, you know, a couple months back. And I wanted to do something really different on this podcast and share stories about guys like Jeff Gussie, um, Luke Palmer, Chad Pipkins, and you, too. It's like, you know, who are these people that you see up on the Bassmaster Classic stage. Like, how did they actually get in the fishing and all that? So 
just making that quick adjustment to like, okay, we're going to focus on some fishing tips in this podcast, but also we're going to tell a story about, you know, how these people actually get in the fishing and what keeps them hooked for so long. No, no pun intended there on the hook. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's a cool concept. You know, that's something that, that I really appreciated. Yeah. Like I mentioned to you, I've listened to some of your stuff on Spotify and, you know, I feel like everybody needs a break from the whole, you know, videos of, all right, you need to take this bait, do it this way and do it. Some people want to see the other side of these guys. Well, really a lot of people do. Like a lot of people want to know how do these guys make it? How, how can I take something from them to make it? And that's something that I appreciate from your podcast is you kind of flip it 180 and be like, okay, let's talk about your history. Let's talk about how you got here. Right. The struggles, like what, what really got you to yep. where you're at? No, why? And you also have a lot of cool stuff going on too. Um, one thing that's coming up with you is Direct TV. So tell the listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, so we've got a show. I think it airs this Sunday uh, with the Direction TV. Uh, Mark Stowe and the boys. Uh, the show is actually sponsored by Jinko. Um, so they came down, and we actually took a ten-day road trip in Texas. Um, met them in Texarkana, hopped in the truck. We went down to OHIV. We filmed a show with Dalton Smith. Um, then we came back to Rayburn. They filmed a show with me on Kurth. That'll air, I think, this weekend, this upcoming weekend on Sunday at 5 p.m. Pursuit Channel. Uh, and then it also, all these episodes will also air on Discovery Channel. Um, they filmed a show with me. Then we filmed one with Tommy Martin. Um, that show aired last weekend. And then we went up to Lake Fork and we filmed uh, a couple crappie videos. Um, so that was really cool to see how a big production team actually gets their stuff done. Uh, I've talked to Mark and, and the boys over there at the direction for a long time. Um, and we had been planning to do something for the last two years. And then he called me, he's like, Hey man, I want to be headed your way, be ready to go pack up, hop in the truck. We'll go on the road for 10 days. I'm like, all right, let's go. I'm ready. Yeah, what's that What's that whole process look like when you got, like, all the cameras out there? Do you guys have scripts, or do you kind of just, like, free-flow it and go for it? Dude, they were, like, so Mark is this really enthusiastic, roll-with-the-flow type guy. And I feel like that's why me and him get along so well is because I do the same thing with my shows. Like, none of it's scripted or nothing. And, like, he'll tell you, like, about the shows and how they should be. He'll tell you, he'll be like, I want the shows to be good conversation pieces. And if we catch a few fish, that's fine. Like he keeps it straightforward and like, dude. So like wheel, uh, I'll give a shout out to wheel real quick. Um, one of the camera guys, uh, he's just a freelance camera guy. They just flew him in. He just never been into fishing much or, or anything like that. They just flew him in and came down, started filming with us. And, uh, I mean, he loved it. You know, he was, he jumped around in the boats and getting different angles. And like, when you really see the production of how this is done on some of these TV shows, it'll blow your mind to be like, okay, there's a lot of work that goes into this. It's hard. It's early. It's long days of filming, but also how simple they approach it, how simple they approach the angles and the way they want the show shot. And and just like there's some pressure there because they're on a budget you know they got but they're also like okay hey this don't work we'll try it tomorrow if that don't work we'll try it the next day we got three days with this person we got two days with this person 
nothing fades them as far as something going wrong. Like, so like I'll give you an example. The first day we filmed on OHID, they put one of these big fancy cameras in my head, right? They're like, Wyatt, you filmed some. Well, I don't know nothing about some of these buttons or ND filters. And I've filmed with smaller cameras before. So I'm filming, you know, I'm over here in this boat. I got the camera and the screen's constantly just going black and white lines. I'm like, okay, hopefully that's normal. Well, we get back and they're like, Mark was like, what? And I'm like, what? He's like, you didn't change the ND filters. I'm like, oh, was I supposed to do that? He's like, yeah, we're just, we're going to have to totally redo the footage tomorrow. And oh, I felt bad, dude. I'm like, well, there it went. I wrote the show. He's like, and hey, don't worry about it. It happens sometimes. We'll do it again. He's like, that's why we got three days with this. I'm like, huh? thank the Lord. So like, dude, they're such professionals in the way they approach things. Nothing phases it at all. Like they work through everything. <laughs> it's just I, I'm just sitting here listening to that story. Why would they give you a camera they didn't know how to operate? <laughs> well, okay, I gotta I gotta back it up a little bit. When me and Mark was talking, I told him I knew how to run a camera because I because I had a Sony AX7 and I've had some different things. So I thought it was going to be similar to that. And he warned me, you know, he was like, well, these cameras are a little fast. I'm like, yeah, that's fine, you know, and we'll walk me through it. But then when you're a fisherman and you're watching another guy live scope fish that are giants on a lake, you kind of just move your head out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of move that way a little bit. Okay. okay let me watch how this guy approaches these situations. <laughs> that's that's fair. I'd probably get sidetracked too if. If he was working the live scope, he saw some giants on the screen. He'd be like, oh, what, what's he doing over there? <laughs> dude, it, but it's so fun, though, because like I said, nothing fazes him. And dude, we had a blast. Like, where we were staying at on OHIV, there was only one hotel. There's one hotel, one marina, and everything else is an hour and a half away. You're in the desert, and dude, we, we actually, so we stayed in two different rooms. Me and Will, the other camera guy, stayed in one, and Mark and his buddy stayed in the other. And one night, me and Will were just joking with him constantly. So we went over there and stole Mark's air conditioner remote. And we pumped it up to like 90 degrees. And we hit the remote already. So, you know, we're over there just acting like nothing's wrong. All of a sudden, we look out and their doors open. And there we walk in and Mark's just covered in sweat and shirts. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with this darn air conditioner, man. And then he comes over there, he's like, where's the remote? One of y'all has got to have the remote. We got him on that. And then that morning, he ordered sweet tea for breakfast, right? We would always meet at breakfast at this one cafe before we filmed down there. Will undid the lid on the salt pepper shaker. <laughs> Poured salt and marked sweet tea. And I'm like, oh, God, it's early in the morning. We get in the truck. He he hadn't took a sip of it till he gets in his truck to drive away. Then he opens the door, starts spitting, gagging. He throws, what in the world is wrong with this tea? And dude, we died out laughing. And he was like, who done it? I know one of y'all done it. And finally, once they finally was about to leave after the whole 10 days, Will was like, I put the pepper in your tea. <laughs> That's the but we had a plan. That's that's the best stuff about oh yeah stuff. It's like the behind the scenes stuff, but just doing pranks, making jokes, all that kind of like just BSing around. Honestly, just having fun with that. Oh yeah, it, it's fun, dude. Because they are they just they roll with the flow. They're professionals. So 
it was a really good experience for me to learn how a big production team does something like that because I took notes from my shape on how I could take it to the next level, you know? Absolutely. No, that sounds like a great experience. I can't wait to see that. That is on Direction TV. I think I said Direct TV before. I said Direction TV. Yeah. It, so it's the Direction TV show, and then it will air on uh, the episode with me that they filmed will air on the Pursuit channel. I think this weekend or next weekend, somewhere around in there. I think my show is the next one coming up. So it they air on Sundays at 5 p.m., and I think their shows will start airing on Discovery Channel in August. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that and link them in the comments once uh, once that kind of gets rolling there. But one thing I wanted yeah. to hit on, too, with you is um your sponsors, because I got to meet some of them down there and really cool yeah. people. So um I know you're wearing the shirt right now, Janko Fishing, and I saw the big announcement with the Eagle Claw, too. So f feel free to give yeah. your, your sponsors some love here. Yeah, so Jenko, uh, there was a lot of companies when I first started, like my show when I was 15, there was a lot of companies that wanted to work with me. Um, but when you're that when you're at that age, a lot of companies don't take you seriously. They think it's a phase or something like that. And Jenko was the first to really say, hey, man, we want to take a chance on you. We want to do something. So Colton, the guy that owns it, me and him had a, understanding of each other because he started the company when he was in high school so when he started the company a lot of the guys back then didn't take him seriously you know and then he turned into what he turned it into and he was like hey man we believe in you we like what you're doing let's do it so i've been with them since i was 15 signed a title deal with them last year that's something real quick that i want to give a tip to everybody that's watching this if you're a younger guy or high school fisherman Stay with the company that you believe in. Stay with them through the ups and downs. They may not be able to to give you everything you want one year or or the next year, but if you ride it out with them and you believe in each other, that's the partnerships you want to have. Because you know, I I bet I was with Jinko, let's see, five years, and then uh, you know they they signed a title deal with me. So that's the biggest thing is building relationships. Um, Trocar, Eagle Claw. Um, I met with Eric, uh, the guy that, that manages that over there last year, actually. And we were going to do something, and then they got, you know, they got busy and everything. And then this year they were like, hey, man, we really want to do something with you. So we had a good conversation the other day before I made that post, and we're with them uh, for next year. Um, Toledo Town Realty, my uh, real estate sponsor. You know, one thing that I could give another tip real quick is, out-of-industry sponsors are going to be a big help if you could find them, local sponsors around you, because you're really going to be impacting the local area you're in, you know, as far as sales. So that's something else I could give advice on is find local companies in your area uh, to to work with if you're a younger guy trying to find sponsors. Um, yeah, why? So I, it, it's one of those... I remember, I remember Go ahead. we were kind of talking about this at ICAST, because it's just out of, like... Out of industry sponsorships, right? Because we talk about everyone who tournaments fish is like they need gas, they need a place to stay, they need a place to eat, right? Whether it's a restaurant down the street and all that. So I think the mindset that you have too of going after those out of industry sponsors is really interesting, and I think it's a great tip for any young uh, young fisherman out there. For sure. Yeah, because I mean they they're local to you. They know where you're from. They know what you're doing. So they're gonna relate more to you. So that's something that I'd give a tip to any younger guy watching is, is target those. And 
my real estate sponsor, they've been with me for two years now, going on three. They're with me next year. Um, so I've got a really good sponsorship base, the bath tank with electronic, uh, my energy drink sponsor. And I'm thankful for them because if you look back at my career, I've kept the same company, you know, core group of companies. And, and I'm with them for as long as I can be and for the foreseeable. If you think that, uh, you know, business is first, take care of business. But once you really establish those relationships it's going to be way easier to work with those companies because you want somebody that enjoys being around you enjoys what you're doing rather than somebody that says okay here's a check don't talk to us for a year right you you want to have that freedom to do like different stuff whether it be like a giveaway or like a little custom promotion here or there so that's yeah that's that's the fun stuff there so awesome man well why i appreciate you jumping on this podcast with me a couple questions i like to uh wrap it up here's pb largemouth and pb smallmouth yeah um, smallmouth, dude. Oh Lord, this is embarrassing. I caught one at Amistad. I went down there and fished with Kurt. Uh, I think it was probably like four pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and then PB largemouth for this area, I caught a late knack with white Rankins. We were filming a uh, challenge video. I caught it on a spinnerbait, like six feet away from the boat. The video's on YouTube. You go find. I think it was eight pounds. Um. For this area here it was it was it was fun dude i we got it on gopro video and everything i was nervous the gopro wasn't on and i held it up i'm like oh my god and <laughs> i'm out of breath the wife's like dude that's a freaking shot and i looked i'm like okay the gopro's recording we're good that's yeah so people can check that out on your youtube channel or yeah just just go to youtube or facebook and look up uh I think it's uh, Wembley versus Franken's uh, fishing video or something like that. Gotcha. Yep, I will definitely find that video and put that in the description here. I just had to make a little note of that. Um, yep. Cool, awesome, man. Well, let me give you a little time here to shout out your social medias too. Um, plug your show and all that good stuff. Yeah, so uh, you could look up look us up on Wyatt Wembley Fishing on Facebook. Um, we upload all our shows on there. Um, you could look us up on Wyatt Wembley. 25 on instagram uh why Wembley fishing on youtube um be sure to check out jinko fishing if you like any of the rods baits you could use codes wyatt 20 save you a little money and uh, eric i appreciate you having me on man i enjoyed it good to have you on here um appreciate it and wish you the best of luck in your future uh, success with the show and then tournament fishing You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well. Peace.